Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. In this episode, meet authors Teju Cole, Nina Renata Aaron, and Carlo Cornejo Villavicencio. Step into the studio to hear each of them reflect on recording their audiobook, and particularly their thoughts on revisiting difficult or intimate scenes on the page, and how voicing those scenes affected their narration. Plus, Find out who once listened to an audiobook on a road trip while the sun was coming up. Enjoy. Hi, this is Teju Cole, author of Open City. I wrote my book because I wanted to make a work of fiction that responded to what it felt like to live in New York at the beginning of the millennium. In a sense, that new millennium, that new century, had really begun with the 9-11 attacks. And I was living in the city at the time. And in the years that followed, working as a writer and thinking about what my response was to those events, I wanted to make something that was not, certainly not a recreation of those events, but not even centered on them in terms of chronology or in terms of incidents. What interested me instead was the psychological fallout of trauma inside a city space. So that the book was not only a 9-11 book, which it is, but also a book about the suppressed memories and traumas of a great city. And sometime around 2006, when I realized that I could combine this excavation of the city's psyche with the personal traumas and complications of the narrator as well, then I was well on my way. And I wrote the book from something like 2006 to 2009, thereabouts, and it was published in 2011. If I had to describe what it was like to record this audiobook in one word, I think the word I would use would be revelatory. Because the process of doing this recording revealed to me aspects of the book that I had hoped were there, but that I had not actually confirmed to myself by reading aloud the whole thing. When I was making the paragraphs, the sentences, I used to read aloud to myself. And yet, as it went off to publication, even though it was carefully edited, I did not read the whole thing for flow. And now, reading the whole thing in one fell swoop over the course of several days has revealed to me that something I hoped would work actually worked. Something about the patterning of the book the idea that the book is like a story being told by someone. After all, it's in the first person. So it's been a wonderful and very revealing experience in that sense. I would also like to add that reading out the book takes me back to the last period in my life where I was very, very intensely thinking about what it means to write a novel. And there are things I had forgotten that I did that might not even be apparent to the reader. But again, what I put into what chapter and where it shows up again 
and all of that. So this has been a good refresher course for me in the self that I was almost 15 years ago when I started writing this book. I'm excited for listeners to hear Julius's voice, or since it's not an autobiographical book, a voice that could be Julius's voice. Somebody who has shared some of Julius's experiences of travel and living in Nigeria and living in Europe and living in the U.S. So that is something that people reading on the page have had to imagine. And now they can hear something that, again, it's not exactly that, but it is close to that. But I'm also excited for the listener to hear something that, when I was writing the book, was a helpful conceit for me in writing the book, but I did not put it into the novel, which is that this whole book is almost like Julius having these regular sessions with his own psychiatrist and talking about what's happening in his life and talking about some of his conflicts and some of his complications. And he tells us a lot, and he's very sensitive. He also shows off a lot, but he's also avoiding a great deal. So... In a way, the listener of this audiobook becomes that psychiatrist who's listening to this guy and trying to piece together what he's got going on in his head because there's certainly something is going on and yet Julius is not being super forthright about it. A specific choice I made in recording my audiobook was to have the range of rhythm go from medium to slow. It's a dynamic book, but the dynamism is not in doing a lot of accents or having very rapid passages. It's more of a thoughtful and meditative kind of work. So there's a kind of a flexible movement between things that are being told at walking pace and then things that are a little bit slower more cadenced, more thoughtful. I wanted to have this be a book that felt like it was at the speed of walking, but I also wanted it to be a book at the speed of careful observation. And so that's a choice I made. I think it might be more cadenced and more patiently narrated than some other audiobooks, and that was intentional. If I wasn't going to narrate my own audiobook, I would cast either one of my favorite authors or one of my favorite actors. And they're not Julius for different reasons, and yet there's something about the vocal quality of each of them that's very attractive to me. The author would be Michael Ondaatje, the great Canadian Sri Lankan novelist who has a kind of idiosyncratic diction that is between continents, like Julius's, but he's just got a very soulful and poetic style of speaking and a lovely timbre to his voice as well. And another is the actor Chiwetel Ejiofor, who is a Nigerian-British, but also able to do American accents. And I think he would be sort of like a perfect transatlantic choice to do a book like this. I realized I had trouble pronouncing something in chapter 17 of the book, 
where Julius and some friends of his had observed some parachutists landing in the middle of Central Park. And a group of people around had formed a circle around the parachutists to applaud them and to congratulate them. And the phrase I used was the congratulatory circle. And I can't say that word congratulatory. We had to do many takes to get that word right. And what's funny about it is that that passage is actually one when the book was published, I really enjoyed reading from. It's a nice little set piece. Something spectacular happens, unlike in a lot of the rest of the book, which is sort of very meditative. This is very external. It's an incident that involves other people. And so I had encountered this passage several times before. And every single time we were pushed back from the congratulatory circle we had formed, I always had to take the word congratulatory again. So I'm never going to use it again in a book because it's more trouble than it's worth. I would just say they congratulated them. And I hope you enjoy this clip from my audiobook. I was on the phone with Nadej a few nights later when I heard noises from far off, noises that were hardly audible to begin with, but that within a few seconds drew closer and became louder. A single voice, a woman's voice, shouted, and a crowd responded. After this had happened a few times, I could identify the crowd as mostly or entirely female. Several whistles pierced the air, but it was not a festive sound. That much I could tell even before I opened my window and looked out. Hi, this is Nina Renata Aaron, author of Good Morning, Destroyer of Men's Souls, a memoir of women, addiction, and love. I wrote my book because I had looked for a book like this for many, many years, dealing with addiction growing up in my family and later having romantic relationships with alcoholics and one very long relationship with a drug addict. And I was always looking for a literary memoir that wasn't written from the point of view of an addict or alcoholic themselves, but was written for people sort of suffering in the midst of this disease. And I had also read a lot about codependency, but most of those books were self-help books, some of which have been very useful to me in my recovery. But I had never read anything literary that even mentioned codependency, and I really wanted to probe that. So I wanted to write the book that I had been looking for. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be intense, because the book contains so much really deeply personal stuff about my life, my relationships, becoming a mother, getting married and divorced, and dealing with addiction in my family and in my relationships. And reading through all of that out loud in the silence of this booth was incredibly intense, and it's also just challenging on the voice to read this much. I had never done anything like this before, and I thought since I talk so much, it would be just the same, but it requires a little bit more. I realized I had trouble pronouncing some of the words I had used in the book that were French or drawn from other languages. There's one point where I reference a Russian name, Ksenia, and all of its diminutive nicknames, like Ksyushinka and Ksyusha. And I also talked about my sister's body of artwork as her oeuvre or oeuvre or oeuvre, which I made our director Google and listen to a few times. I'm proud that I was able to get through all of this without getting too emotional too many times. 
I did have a few moments where I had to compose myself, but I think when I first set out to record the audiobook, I imagined myself crying every 10 or 15 pages, and in fact, I only cried a few times. If I wasn't going to record my audiobook, I would cast Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth, who wrote her own memoir and I think voiced the audiobook. I love her voice. It's kind of grainy and a little bit detached, but still full of wonder. And it has a real sort of California girl vibe to it. The last audiobook that I listened to that I loved was a novel called Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. The actor who voiced that book gave voice to such an incredible array of characters from the city of Philadelphia. The book is largely a comedy of manners about race and class. So she was voicing white characters, black characters, and lots of other different characters along like a very wide spectrum. And I was incredibly impressed by how engaging and what a good job she did. I love listening to audiobooks while I drive. I have to be alone. I really don't like listening to audiobooks with other people. Sometimes people will suggest it on a long drive, and I feel like it's a really private activity, and it's so intimate. I love being read to, and I love reading to other people. So I really like having headphones in or being alone in the car. I recently was on a road trip, and I uh, listened to an entire novel as the sun came up, and it was a profoundly wonderful experience. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. When I was five or six, I asked my mother about religion. I had become curious about the churches in our town, around which on the weekends clustered well-heeled, sandy-haired congregants clad in topes and acrus. What is church? I asked, and she answered that it was a place where people went to practice their religion. What is religion? I pressed. That drew a pause. A lot of beautiful pictures and stories, she eventually said. Some of them are very scary. People have been looking at them for a long, long time. They use them to make sense of the world. Are the pictures and stories real? I asked. No, she said flatly, not missing a beat. Hi, this is the author of The Undocumented Americans. I'm Carla Cornejo de Vicencio. I first started writing my book after the 2016 election. I had put off writing about immigration for a very long time, partly because people were interested in me writing a memoir, and I thought that that was an obnoxious ask of a very young person. And I still think that way, if my book was pure memoir. Part of it was that I was an undocumented person, and I felt like my parents hadn't come to this country for me to write you know, a memoir about being an undocumented person. I felt like they came to this country for me to, you know, I was a writer, but like for me to write about beekeeping or something, I I felt like for me to fully fulfill my mission, right, as the keeper of their dreams, it was to do something radical and wild and brave and to just write about how sad our lives were was not it. But I knew it was going to be a crazy time, and it was going to be a hard time for us as a community. I was aware, because of my graduate studies, and because I was an undocumented person who loved undocumented people, that a lot of the literature on immigration was written by people 
who were still very much enamored by America or who were writing for an audience that was not immigrants. And neither of those things sat right with me. So I thought that I could do something that was different. I was just crazy enough to write a book that was for children of immigrants that had already been so wounded by the heaviness of the American dream, even if they'd achieved it, especially if they achieved it, and that they wanted to read something healing about their own people. And I thought that I was the person to do it. And I wanted it to be also a snapshot in time, something that couldn't have been written at any other point in history. So that's what ultimately became this book. If I had one word to describe recording the audiobook, it would be re-traumatizing. Writing this book was very hard for me, and it was very hard for my mental health. And revisiting these scenes by reading them out loud and hearing my own voice in such a loud way created a greater intimacy with the writing. And it was really upsetting to remember the injustices that some of my subjects have suffered and that my parents have suffered. So it was a lot emotionally. Being able to record the audio really felt like re-editing the book because when I'm editing the book, I do read the writing out loud to myself. It's not in like a soundproof room, so it's not the same quality, but I do use my own voice to edit my writing. So cadence is very important to it, and my sentences are often when I am trying to say something that is trying to recreate trauma or is trying to recreate like an intense emotional moment for me, I do use longer sentences and I use writing that is inspired by like drumming, that is like inspired by like Meg White's drumming. So it is something that is very influenced by sound. Yeah, so I, I think it felt like I was editing my own writing. So it wasn't like I was like shocked to read a paragraph and say like I wish I hadn't written that or I wish I could revisit that. It just, the writing felt very clean to me because I had read the whole thing out loud many times while I was editing it. I'm excited for listeners to hear my idiosyncratic Spanish pronunciations. It's not consistent how I pronounce Spanish words and there's like no politics behind it which I think is really interesting because I'm in grad school and you would expect there to be political reasons why I pronounce words a certain way, but there really isn't. So even my name, like my name is Carla and a lot of Spanish speakers who are intellectuals think that they'll build intimacy with me by calling me Carla, but they don't know that my parents don't call me by my name. They've never called me by my name. My parents call me by a pet name. Other Latinos, other Immigrants call me Carlita, and so my name in the world is like Carla. That's the only Carla I know. And like my last name, it's just like a piece of clothing to me. So like it gets wet when it's raining and it's dry when it's dry. So like, you know, I can pronounce it Cornejo Via Vicencio, and I find that that's like a neutral pronunciation that's understandable. 
or if I am speaking with Spanish speakers, I'll pronounce it Cornejo Villavicencio. You know, I don't really attach a lot of political significance to the pronunciation of that. So sometimes, like, in the pronunciations, I will alternate because I do it in my daily life. You know, sometimes Francisco will become Francisco, and then sometimes Milton will become Milton. It's just how I speak Spanish. And part of that is true to the fact that I'm, like, bilingual, but I speak Spanish probably 50-50. I write in English. I think in English, but Spanish is what I speak to with family. Like, when I'm very emotional, I don't speak in Spanish, but I do lose English, and I start mispronouncing words. So I do have an idiosyncratic use of Spanish. You hear that in the book, and I think that's very authentic. So I'm proud that that stayed in the book. If I wasn't the narrator of this book, I would cast Werner Herzog to narrate this book. I think he would make this book come alive in ways that I couldn't. I think I am dead in ways that Werner Herzog is alive. I love his voice, but I also just don't really respond to the world very much. And Werner Herzog is someone who just responds to the world excessively. I would both like him to record the book, and I'd like a, a reaction video of him responding to the book. I hope you enjoy listening to this clip from my audiobook. If you ask my mother where she's from, she's 100% going to say she's from the kingdom of God because she does not like to say that she's from Ecuador. Ecuador being one of the few South American countries that has not especially outdone itself on the international stage. Magical realism basically skipped over it, as did the military dictatorship craze of the 1970s and 1980s. Plus, there are no world-famous Ecuadorians to speak of other than the fool who housed Julian Assange at the embassy in London, the president, and Christine Aguilera's father, who was a domestic abuser. If you ask my father where he is from, he will definitely say Ecuador because he is sentimental about the country for reasons he's working out in therapy. But if you push them, I mean really push them, they're both going to say they're from New York. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind the mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com/nextlisten.